You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hello, Served Up friends. I'm thrilled to introduce Carol Kim, a public affairs executive whose career spans across corporate, government, political, and social impact sectors. Carol is founder and principal of Shasta Advisory LLC, advising CEOs and startup founders requiring business strategy, market positioning, and policy navigation. Carol shares her journey that got her into public service and then the boardroom. Now sit back, grab your favorite glass of Ferrari Crona wine, and get inspired. Thank you so much for joining us on Served Up. I'm so excited to have you with us today. Julie, it's an honor and I'm very excited to be here. It's my very first podcast as a guest speaker. So you are my first. Oh, I love that. We love being people's firsts. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll be the first of many, I'm sure, because you've got a wonderful story. I'm so excited to dive in. And I think I've told you this the last time I've like, got this guilty pleasure where I'm just fascinated with like how the government works and policy and, and all that stuff. And you bring um, so much knowledge and experience to that. So we really want to hear your whole story and, you know, just kind of how you drive social impact through the work that you do and that you've done. So take us back, take us back to Carol as a young girl, Where did you grow up and how did you start your career journey? Wow. Okay, Julie, I don't know how far back we need to go, but um, I always like to start out by sharing with folks about the fact that my career path to date uh, can be best summed up, right, as spanning across corporate, government, political, and social impact sectors as a public affairs executive up until this point. And the golden thread across the varied um, experiences that I have had is that ultimately I am a strategist and an effective builder, right? A builder of partnerships, a builder of teams, and a builder of operational playbooks for companies and organizations and leaders. And to your question as to how it all started... (laughs) I would say that there were a couple defining moments in my life that got me onto this, you know, a windy road, if you will. But one of the major catalysts in my life uh, was really the 1992 Los Angeles riots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, what we call Saigu in, in Korean in the Korean American community, which literally translates to 429, right? Saigu means 429, um, meaning April 29th, which was 
the first day of the riots themselves. And I tell this story quite a bit as to, I was a high school student when the 1992 LA riots erupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I grew up in the city of Los Angeles. I am a product of the public education school system, right? The LA Unified School District. And um, I grew up, you know, in part in Koreatown. Um, and I also grew up, you know, outside of Koreatown, but always in the city of LA. So as a high school student, watching days and nights of my beloved hometown, like literally burning in flames, right? It's burning down with, quite frankly, irreparable harm to so many lives, to so many families, to so many communities, especially the Korean American community. It um, it really hit me hard, right? Like it did for so many and I like, and like the rest of the nation, and I think you can even argue perhaps the world at the time, I saw the media's portrayal of Saigo of the LA riots and was frustrated by the misrepresentation, right? Not giving proper voice and representation to communities of color in particular. And so as a high school student, funny enough, I, I, I instinctively knew it was not simply enough just to take a stand, but how do you mobilize, right? How do you communicate and how do you represent? And it was my first unsophisticated foray (laughs) into organizing, into mobilizing. And what do I mean by that? Literally as a high school student, um, my cousin and I, we were in my backyard and I just decided, you know what? Mainstream media, you're not getting this right. You are portraying this whole um, tenuous situation in 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 a overly simplified Korean Black racial tensions, and that's their problem, right? Mm-hmm. And not really being sophisticated in the analysis of how we got here, mm-hmm. right? All the systemic, you know, issues and all the historical policy issues that you know, were all these complicated forces, right? That, and it was against the backdrop of the whole Rodney King beatings, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so I decided on a whim, we're going to organize a protest and we're going to do it at the local KBC news station in Los Feliz, this community called Los Feliz. Mm -hmm. I did not know what I was doing. I just knew I wanted to make posters Right. And I was going to just try and organize a protest in front of the studio. And it was on a Sunday. My cousin and I, we were literally in the backyard. We were um, making handmade posters, <laughs> like, you know, and um, and I had my cousin call into Radio Korea. Right. And to put out the call to the community. Hey, we're going to protest. Meet us here. It's on the corner of this and this at the KBC TV news station. And she managed to get through. She put out the call. Um, she and I, we, we, we're like running out the door to get to the TV station. Um, my mother, she had the foresight to say, you should call um, the church. You know, I, I grew up in a Korean Catholic family. Call the church, ask, ask Father Pay, you know. <laughs> to ask your high school friends to meet you there because you need 
bodies. <laughs> like you need bodies. Yeah. It can't just be you and your cousin. <laughs> so I did. And, and, you know, the priest, Father Bay, he like, he got my high school friends to meet us there and we get there and they're waiting for us. Right. And so we're handing out these handmade posters and, um, and we're just standing around, right? Like we're, we're like goofy kids. Like I have no idea, like how to organize a demonstration. You know, I've only seen images of the civil rights era. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have no clue. So we're standing there. And next thing I know, this gentleman comes out of the studio and I think back on it and it's pretty clear to me today that he's clearly a Teamster union member, right? He's like this older, like white guy in like shorts and a t-shirt, you know, and he comes out and he looks at us and he says to me, what are you guys doing? And I said, uh, we're protesting. And he's like, what are you protesting? And I said, we're protesting against the misrepresentation of the media of the current <laughs> like riots. And he's like, Oh, and he says, this is what you have to do. You can't just stand here. You got to walk. So pick up your signs and start walking up and down the sidewalk, but you got to keep moving, like keep walking in circles up and down the sidewalk. So we started doing that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then next thing I know, like we're walking, it's like literally like a ragtag of like five or six teenagers. Right. I had no idea if anyone was even going to show up. Right. I didn't know if my cousin's call and plea she made on Radio Korea was even going to activate anyone. Right. We're walking up and down and literally it was like, you know, that scene. Have you watched that movie Witness? You know, the Harrison Ford movie like back in the day and it was about like this Amish community and this like Amish kid who witnessed a murder okay there's a scene in in witness where Mm -hmm. like on the horizon you see like all the Amish men like just like coming down the hill right yes (laughs) down the hill and I had that moment right like we're walking up and down the sidewalk in front of ABC studio next thing I know I start seeing cars And I start seeing people coming out of those cars and it was like Korean Americans, mom, dads, bringing their kids, right? It Mm -hmm. was like this, it was this vision of people like showing up and coming out of the cars and they're walking. And then all of a sudden the ragtag group of like five to six teenagers, it became a full on like March on the sidewalk. And, you know, and then like, other people kept coming and then they were like bringing water bottles and they were being, bringing like kimbap. <laughs> Love it. You got to bring and the kimbap. Right. They were bringing sustenance for us mm-hmm. and it got, and the crowd became um, a large number, large enough that um, the news station actually sent out a reporter to talk to us. Oh, wow. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I remember that they ran that story as brief as it was. So I share that with you because it was one of those defining moments and the lived experience that I took with me um, in college, right? It got me to uh, initially want to go into broadcast journalism. So I was an English major in college. Mm -hmm. And when I got to college, though, I started getting involved with student organizations. You know, I was taking all these, you know, ethnic studies courses, Asian American studies courses, Chicano studies, African American studies. I was an English major. So 
I was taking like Native American literature, <laughs> African American literature, all the curriculum that quite frankly, I did not get in my K through 12 education, mm-hmm. right? The only Asian am, you know, um, courses or education I got in K through 12, it was like maybe one paragraph with about the Japanese internment camps. Right. And it was in the context well, of right. Better than I had. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or yeah. it was like yeah. mm-hmm. anything about the Chinese American immigrant experience. It was like all in the context of railroads. Right. Um, but that was it. And it wasn't until I got to college and I had the good fortune of having a school that offered, you know, ethnic studies courses that I, I took those courses. And then it was like, you started to see, right, all these um, policies and laws and regulations that actively othered, right, like actively excluded um, mm-hmm. communities. And so it was really through that work. Um, and then um, and then secondly, I would say the defining moment was during college, I had an opportunity to do a summer internship in Washington, D.C., Mm-hmm. And it was really the first time in my life that I spent time outside of Los Angeles, out of California, you know, on my own. And I had two internships in Washington, D.C. One was with um, their local, ironically, their local um, KBC affiliate mm-hmm. <laughs> news station, because at the time I thought I was going to go into broadcast journalism. Right. And then I picked up a second internship with a congressman um, on Capitol Hill. And. It was that summer that in which I realized I don't want to go into journalism. Um, I understand the power of media and the importance of elevating issues. But I came to the realization I don't want to simply report on the problem. I actually want to roll up my sleeves and work towards solutions. Mm -hmm. And that was a moment of the pivot, right, of my educational and ultimately ultimately my career pursuit um, into public policy. I didn't even know that there was such a uh, career path in public service, in politics, in government, right? And Mm -hmm. and it's called public policy, public administration, public health, you know, all of those, you know, um, those, uh, those names, if you will. And so that then got me on the journey of, um, Getting getting a master's in public policy from the University of Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, that really paved the path um, in in how I got into public service and to politics. Um, initially, um, you know, had a chance to work in Washington D.C., um, then moved back to Los Angeles, and I ended up working for a, another elected official. Um, you know, advising on all things health, mental health, and public health policy issues in L.A. County, uh, which mm-hmm. is the second largest municipality in the country, right? Um, yeah. And at the time, it had uh, an operating budget of about, I would say, twenty-two billion, if I'm correct. And the healthcare delivery system itself was about four billion dollars, mm-hmm. and um, you know, servicing ten million residents of LA County. And it was a real um, opportunity of where the rubber meets the road, right? Um, I always say that working for the LA County Board of Supervisors was my greatest teacher. It was my greatest teacher of all things policy, of government funding, um, and implementation as to how federal, state laws, policies, and regulations 
do and do not actually work at the local level, right? Because this is where you have to deliver the health and human services for people. Mm -hmm. And so that was really sort of the catalyst for how um, I built a career, you know, as a public affairs executive. And then, and then, you know, I made my first major career pivot, you know, about a decade ago, going from the public sector to private um, and joining, you know, a fortune 500 publicly traded company at the time in the area of managed care. And so that's really been the journey. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is just incredible. And and what was that like for you to be serving the public, right? In 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 this very big role that impacts so many lives, so many commu- you know, people in the community to then going to the private sector. Yeah, you know, I would say um I think like many, you know, children of first generation immigrant parents like me, you know, my my parents immigrated to the U.S. from Korea. I, I was born in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say like many children of first generation immigrant parents, I did not have the kind of start in life. Right. Like uh, perhaps like other kids in the U.S., Um I had to learn very early on as a child, right, about how to be self-sufficient. You know, I literally had to um, help navigate um, a very adult world at a young age for my parents because English was not their first language, right? So I had to figure things out, quite frankly, on my own, right? Um, Everything, whether it was you know, applying for colleges or, you know, how do you go about, you know, applying for financial assistance for college, you know, um, and then subsequently, right, getting a job and how does one build a career, right? It wasn't like I had parents who could, who, who, you know, who had a, who had social capital in this Mm -hmm. country, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't have the network where, you know, they, you know, if I needed a summer internship, you know, they had like, they had a network where they can maybe connect me to someone who can maybe help me land a summer internship, right? Like mm-hmm. no they didn't clue. have chief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't have chief. They didn't have, you know, all these mm-hmm. right alumni association here. Like they, you know, they just didn't. Right. Um, and so I had to just figure it out on my own. Right. And I imagine, you know, my experience is not unique, right? I think many, many other you know, Asian Pacific Americans and quite frankly, other communities of color can certainly identify with some of with some of the things that I experienced. Right. But, you know, fortunately, like I had mentors and champions along the way Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, really guided me and quite frankly, opened up doors of opportunities. Right. And I will tell you that After I graduated from Michigan with my master's in public policy and I landed in Washington, D.C., I first landed at the U.S. Treasury Department. Mm -hmm. And this was, uh, you know, and and I'm pretty old, Julie. So, you know, this was like towards the tail end of the Clinton administration. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I remember so clearly that that experience was one in which... um, I found myself at the U.S. Treasury Department through the good fortune of, you know, having attended University of Michigan, having successfully gotten my master's in public policy, having um, been admitted to the Presidential Management Fellowship Program, which was intended for graduates with master's degree to enter into federal government 
and I found myself at the U.S. Department of Treasury. And I found myself uh, with the help of a wonderful woman uh, who was a careerist, you know, um, uh, a federal employee. She saw something in me. I don't know what it was. Maybe you know, maybe she just saw that I was like doe-eyed and confused. I don't know. But <laughs> but her name is Christy Greenslade. Um, mm-hmm. And she helped me find opportunities in the Treasury Department that gave me more exposure. And that actually gave me um, an understanding as to how I got there mm-hmm. is really not the way a lot of people got there. Yeah. Right. Because I was in the midst of working with um, all what we call, you know, the political appointees, right? So I had a chance to work with deputy assistant secretaries, the assistant secretaries. In fact, I worked for the assistant secretary of legislative affairs at the treasury department. And I was realizing for the first time, like, wow, like all these folks, they are in these positions because they were connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were connected because, you know, um, they're just in a network, right, of folks. And that's how they got their appointments, right? And and granted, they're not civil servants. They are indeed political appoint- appointees, right? And I just remember how different, you know, that that network is, right? And it was the first time where I really started to see and understand what social capital means. Mm-hmm. And just sort of comparing, right? Like my path versus some of them. And yet um, simultaneously, you know, understanding that, you know, so often, even if I find myself in these situations where I'm the only or the few, um, you know, how do I uh, make sure that I stay the course, right? And how do I try to um, make sure that, you know, in any role I take on, whether it's been in the public sector or whether it's been in the corporate sector, that I come into it fully as myself and myself being, you know, that ardent advocate for communities, causes and change, right? That really mm-hmm. started with Tsai Gu, the 1992 mm-hmm. LA riots. So I've always taken that with me in every role that I've taken on. That's, there's so much relatability there because I also, my mother is a Korean immigrant woman mm-hmm. and and at a young age, really having to navigate and and being that English speaking person to, you know, have to go through all of that. And and I and so I recognize all of that, but I never really thought about kind of that social capital, right? That comes with your broader network, whether it's you know, your whether it's through work, your career, through school, alumni, community. And I think that's something that being a first generation immigrant, you you lack, right? And and then your children don't really have that accessibility. And I've always kind of felt like if I had that, where would I be? But it's also like if we didn't have those challenges and had to learn at such a young age, would we be the people that we are today? Right. And and that could also be a benefit, the lack of. Um, because I think one thing that as we start to see that, wow, we're actually now in this different stage of our life where we have that social network, that social capital influence, and all these things that we never had. How do you then know how to, like you said, kind of build and um, 
and activate that for something good, right? For a greater cause. Like how, how does one do that if they didn't kind of go through that path of public policy, but they find themselves asking for a friend, you know, but find yourself in a situation where you want, you know, like there's so much going on in, in the environment, you know, with um, in the political environment, the political landscape. I'm here in Florida. I mean, it just blows my mind with all these different laws that are being passed. It's like, yeah. how do we then being in, in a different stage in our life where, okay, we could say we have social capital. We have these things that, that our parents didn't necessarily have. You as a young girl trying to figure it out knew you wanted to do something and and you did it, right? Like, how do you go about doing that and and activating to create change? Yeah, great question, right? Uh, because obviously my career path has been very much values driven, right? Meaning like for me, it was always around, you know, how do you mobilize communities? How how do you empower? communities that are, you know, that have historically been underrepresented and underserved. So, you know, it's been very intentional, right? Um, In terms of my personal, professional aspirations around public service, right? And and making for systemic changes, right? For impact. I know that so many people have their own different callings in life, right? And it's fantastic, right? And what I always say is, Community empowerment and mobilization, it all rests within us. Um, You just have to find the power within and be willing to wield it, right? And I say that coming from the world of politics, Mm -hmm. right? Where it is about power, soft and hard power. And what I say to folks is every single one of us bears a responsibility in community engagement. Mm-hmm. And no step is small, right? No action is small. I'm talking about even the most basic action of did you register to vote? Mm-hmm. After you registered to vote, did you actually did you vote? vote? Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about voting, you know, for, you know, uh, every four year presidential cycles. I'm talking about voting in your local city elections, your local, you know, county elections, your local state elections, right? Um, Your local school board elections, right? Like however it is your city, county, states are organized, right? So the most basic but powerful step of engagement is to register and vote, Mm -hmm. right? Then I would say it's about getting involved, right? It's getting involved in your communities, whether it's getting involved in volunteering your time at your, you know, local nonprofit community-based organization. And then, you know, whether it's actually becoming a board member of a nonprofit community, you know, based organization, right? Because I believe in the service of others, you really serve yourself. Mm -hmm. And it also opens up you know, a different paradigm, right? Because I think all of these steps in many ways, it's about self-awareness and consciousness raising. Um, And I know that everyone's busy, right? Everyone's juggling work and family and other, you know, obligations. 
But I think it's really about adopting a mindset, right? Adopting a mindset around civic and community engagement. And it comes in many, many forms, right? You don't have to dedicate your career like the way I did mm-hmm. <laughs> in public affairs, right? Or working for a nonprofit. It, it comes in many forms, right? It comes in many forms of just being an active citizen, right? Showing up to your local, you know, city council person's meet and greet or (laughs) meetings, you know, where they're debating on like real, right, policies and regulations that are going to impact, you know, your, your services, right, your schools, your, you know, um, you, you know, whatever, whatever that issue is, right. Um, Or it's going to be revolved around, you know, how can you get involved with different organizations and communities that are, providing services and important, you know, um, support for families and communities out there. Right. So I think it just, it can come in many forms. And I would also say, how do you show up in your work? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, How do you as a leader show up in your work um, in, in being willing to stand up and voice a perspective and insight that may not be in the majority of those in the room, right? And lending voice mm-hmm. to communities that often do not get a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you you said that so clear. It's it's really about individually what are those levers that you can do and and actively be engaged. Cause I feel like a lot of times we just sit around and we all vent our frustrations of what we want to happen, but to actually go and do the work and be a part of it. And I have to catch myself because, you know, the hardest part is just showing up. Right. And then once you're there, you know, there's, there's so much to be done. And, and, and that's actually why I wanted us to start earlier today, because there's like a little PTA meetup and I'm like, I have to go to that, you know, because that's our community. And, and I, you know, I can say all these things that affect the school system that, you know, is um, not necessarily what I agree with. And I want to be a part of it, but I've got to show up, right. I've got to be a part of it to really be able to make an impact. And, and I'm so glad that you say that. And, and it's not just about voting for that one big election. It's all the elections within the community. And I feel like especially even a place like Miami, the, the communities just seem so fragmented because it's such a transient place, but there still is a community and you've got to kind of have to do the work to be a part of it. Yeah, that's exactly right, Julie. And I'm so glad that, um, you know, to hear you say that half the battle or or maybe more is to show up, right? Mm-hmm. Is to show up, pull up the chair to the table, right? And, and engage, Um, because if you don't show up, someone else will, Mm -hmm. right? And unless you're willing to give license to whomever that is to represent, you know, your voice, your, your insight, your perspective, your position on things, um, then don't show up. Right. Mm -hmm. But my bet is you're not willing to give someone else license to speak on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and to also be in these places where you do indeed share your concerns, your ideas, right? Potential solutions, um, your observations of what might be going on and what, what needs to be done. 
So it is definitely about showing up and, um, and show up and, and don't be afraid to speak up. Right. I say this all the time. Like every one of us needs to be willing to say it and say it out loud. Right. Even if you feel like your voice is shaking or cracking, because truth be told, right. The crackling of your voice is really going all in your head. Right. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. actually not being projected when yeah. you do find your voice and you and you use it, right? Like the way we're using it in the in these microphones for this podcast. Like mm-hmm. just use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a it's a powerful thing. And and I think as um as woman and and even Asian woman, it's you know, you grow up to to not say much unless, you know, you're spoken to or don't share your opinion. Nobody wants to hear it. It took me a very long time to find my voice. And, you know, and I I say it it worked for me for so long to just say the things that needed to be said or needed to be heard. And then you get to this pivotal point in your life where it's like, no, you know, you've got to use your voice and you've got to say it. And that's what gives you your power, right? You, you mentioned that, that I liked that what you said about the soft power and the hard power. And I think that we forget and we see power belonging to other people, but we don't think about the power within ourselves. Yeah. You know, I, I, I will say to you that uh, it has taken me a while and I'm still on this journey, quite frankly, of, of using my voice, you know, and, and what do I mean by that? I think in this past two years, I've really been doing a lot of like hard work, you know, for myself, right? A lot of introspection, a lot of of reflection, a lot of, you know, um, focusing intentionally about, you know, what is it that, you know, I want to do? What is my purpose, right? Because it's always on my mind. And I will honestly say that ironically, even though um, I've been in the sphere, you know, and in these rooms, right? with powerful decision makers, right? I have been in rooms with powerful decision makers, people who literally can make decisions, right? Whether Mm -hmm. they are elected officials or whether they are the CEOs whom I work for. What I've come to recognize about myself and, and I guess I, perhaps I, I, I knew it, but didn't really know it. (laughs) Meaning Mm -hmm. so often in my career, I have found myself to be the only, the first, or the few, mm-hmm. right? And I and I don't think that's unique to someone like me, or perhaps even you, and you know, a lot of women, especially women of color, to find ourselves in a room where we're one of the few, if not the only. And oftentimes, these rooms have not looked anything like me, right? And and I think subconsciously, I. I understood sort of the rules and the norms of what ha- is expected, right? And I think because of that, I have always been measured, right? Um, people who have worked with me and worked for me will tell you that I have a very effective way of knowing what to say at the right time, delivering the right message to the right audiences, right? Mm-hmm. But what I've also learned about myself is that, yes, I've I've been very measured and I know how to distill very complex issues 
and effectively communicate it to the right audience, to the right, at the right time with the right message, because someone like me doesn't have a lot of leeway to veer off script. Mm -hmm. And I think the years and years of years of doing that, I think to some degree now is making me realize like, I, you know, perhaps I'm not, I haven't been showing up fully myself, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, we always hear that word authenticity, quite frankly, I'm kind of sick of that word, but, mm-hmm. you know, but truly like fully showing up as myself. And that's a journey that I am on right now mm-hmm. um, for myself. Right. And coming to recognize that about myself and what is it that I am you know, willing to do and say consistently and sort of in my own skin, right? Regardless of the rooms that I continuously find myself in. Um, And so I think finding your voice, right, is an ongoing process. At least it is for me, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and my goodness, like I've been in, I've been in these like external facing sort of roles, you know, over my career. And you think that I would have like figured this out, but I'm just telling you, like I, I myself am coming to recognize this, you know, recognizing the pattern and recognizing the pattern because for so long, I've been in these places where, you know, you are alone or you are one of the few and, you know, you're, you're, you're having to navigate right? You're having Mm -hmm. to navigate these relationships and these rooms and, you know, um, you know, too often being for me, always being measured, Mm -hmm. you know, always being measured. And, um, and right now I'm just on this journey of like, you know, not worry too much Mm -hmm. about being measured. Yeah. I mean, you, you said it and, and I think it goes back to you know, this strategic quality that you have of yourself is because you've learned to be strategic, right? Being measured, reading the room, knowing what to say, when to say it, who to say it, how to say it. And I can relate with that. And I think it makes you become a very strategic person because you start realizing what works and what doesn't work and how it approaches. But then at the same time, you can lose kind of your natural being, right? Of, of who that raw person is behind all of that. And, and, you know, something else that you said is like, people are less forgiving to us, right? When you're yes. the only, you can't just spout out and everybody, you know, and, and I see that from some of my colleagues, my white colleagues, whether women or men that can just be there authentic self and make mistakes or say something that's not right. And, and there's this quick forgiveness that happens. And I, I don't think that as a woman of color or as the one or the only or the few, you have that same level of forgiveness. Like my deepest worry at all times was not saying the right thing or not doing the right thing or not making the right strategic move and losing it all. And losing all credibility and all respect. And that would just be detrimental, right? And then that's how you start crafting and doing. And I'm not saying it didn't work for me. You know, it definitely got me to where I am at. And I think what I'm embracing now, and you're right, it, it's a working progress. Like me finding my voice comes in, in many ways, it's my relationship at home with my husband, with my family, 
my relationship with my parents, with my friends, with my network, with my colleagues, with my peers, with my leadership. It's really then just being able to share kind of the raw Julie without feeling like there's going to be any repercussion or not making that person happy or saying what they expect me to say. And it's, it's very freeing and it doesn't happen all the time, but those moments that I can just be me, you know, and, and I think this is something that we hear from when our, like even Michelle Obama, the, you know, the one thing that I know how to do really good is to be myself. You know, that's like the one thing that you're a master, but then it's also the one thing that we're so vulnerable about, about being and showing up as just ourself. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. I, I think we take for granted or or have moments of forgetting that, you know, every person is is multi-dimensional, right? We're multifaceted. Um, I know that there are times, you know, um where, you know, I have, you know, people have said, like, we're not really sure which Carol is going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought about that and I, and I thought about it and I, and I still think about it. Right. Like when I got told that, like, we don't know mm-hmm. which Carol's, you know, people don't know which Carol's going to show up. And, and I, you know, and first I was like, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You don't know which Carol's going to show up. And the reality is, is that, yeah, you're right. You know why? Because depending on the situation that I am being confronted with, it is going to be a different Carol, right? Mm-hmm. Just like it's probably going to be a different Julie, right? Yeah. Like the way I show up when I'm getting ready to go into the boardroom, right? To present and to walk out of that room with with a decision that I need them to get to, them being the board members, it is going to be a very different Carol showing up, right? Mm-hmm. I am all business. I am, you know, focused, um, maybe intense, right? Uh, because I got a job to do, mm-hmm. right? But if I'm, but if I'm walking into, uh, you know, a gala, you know, that's a fundraiser for a nonprofit board that I sit on, right? It's going to be a different kind of Carol, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be more social. You know, I like to have a good time. I like to laugh. People who know me will tell you, you know, um, I'm. I like to crack jokes all the time and, and, you know, just be social. So it is going to be a different Carol, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that there is very much those moments in our everyday lives, right? Where, where it's, it's a different part of you that's going to show up because it needs to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's, that's the multi, that's that multifaceted, multi-talented person that you've become, right? Is to be able to adapt to those different situations. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Carol, so this Carol that I know that's on the podcast, um, you have so much to offer with just your experience. I think, you know, so much of your career really going to public policy, especially around health. And, and I feel like there's so much more we can dive deeper into, but Everything that you shared today is, to me, it's so valuable. And I think to our listeners as well, because it really talks about your journey and what you've overcome and and how, you know, some of the things that you might not have had, you know, with with the social capital, with the guidance from 
you know, your parents being immigrants and not really understanding the system and, and how you've navigated through that and got to where you are and the accessibility that you've had, you know, really is inspiring because it, it's really about leaning into maybe those things that we didn't have, but creating that for ourselves, right? And that next generation and paying it forward. And I think with you sharing all that on your podcast is really going to show so many people that might be going through the same thing, but haven't gotten to the point of embracing what they've created to do the next is um, very, I'm very grateful for that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, I always say, right. It's, um, it's, it's, it's couple things, right? Like, like it's, it's a journey that is always changing and evolving for every single one of us. Right. And to me, it's about a um, couple things. It's knowing who you are. It's staying curious and finding your voice and having the courage to use it. Right. Because, because um, it's the only way that, you know, you're going to help others on the journey. And more importantly, when you start sharing and sharing it loudly, right? You you also come across people who are like, oh my God, yeah, I totally get it. You're having that. I'm I'm going through that too. Like mm-hmm. let's swap stories. Right. So, you know, I I I really think that um it's about the self-awareness and the consciousness raising of knowing who you are, knowing, you know, the place and time in which you find yourself, right? And in relation to others, right? Who who probably come from a different point of reference in life, right? I think it's also always asking, asking yourself, like, what do you want to do? What are you trying to aspire to? You know, what's in my, what's in my tool chest or not, you know, and, and how do I, how do I figure out the steps I need to take? And I say it all the time. It's not going to be probably a linear path. Like I envy people who knew from like the age of five, like they were going to be a ballet dancer and that's what they became, right? Or like they knew like, like, you know, I'm going to be a firefighter and that's what they became. Like I was never that, you know, Mm -hmm. it was always this like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, I have no idea. You know, I have no idea, but I knew innately it was this call to public service. I just never heard anyone articulate for me at a, as a kid, oh, you want to go into public service? This, you know, here's a pathway, right? Mm-hmm. It's called public policy. Yeah. <laughs> It's called working, you know, for an elected official. It's called government relations executives, right? It was it was never that, right? Um, until you start experimenting, right? So this is why I'm saying, like, it's about, you know, always asking yourself where, you know, what is it that you want to do? What is it you think you want to do, right? And knowing that you might not get there in one full step, yeah. right? It might take you one or two steps in between. It might be a step forward. It might be a step adjacent. It might be a step aside. It might be even a step back. Yeah. Right. Like step back, like taking a break. Yeah. And, and it's probably not going to be linear. Yeah. But and that's, that's okay. A, yeah. That's okay. And I think that that's so important is, is just really, like you said, being you know, making those decisions of where you're going to be based on your values and being value driven and, and really, you know, what brings you joy. 
Um, so Carol, if our listeners want to follow you, get in touch and, and see the work that you're doing, tell us a little bit about how they can do it. And, you know, in our last couple minutes, tell us about Shasta Advisory and what you're doing as you're moving into this kind of whole new world for yourself and, and doing what you're passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, um, people can just find me on LinkedIn, right? Carol Kim. <laughs> not that hard. Um, and those listeners can look up Julie and the Julie will see the Carol Kim that <laughs> Julie is connected to. Right? <laughs> yeah. One mutual connection, but yeah, um, yeah, yes. right. and I love um, reading your, you've got really great content and I, we haven't even tapped into that. We're gonna have to have you back on because there's so much more, um, that, that we want to talk about, but yeah, I love the content that you put out. It's very valuable. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so Shasta Advisory, you know, I'm the founder and principal, and really it's it's just continuously being in these roles that I find myself in, which is uh, being a trusted advisor to CEOs and and more recently to tech startup founders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and being a trusted advisor in guiding them on their go-to-market strategy for those who need, you know, um, like a chief strategy officer. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're solving for a problem. They're trying to figure out what's the go to market launch. How do you navigate politically? Um, you know, and how do you build, um, you know, stakeholder engagement to help execute on your plan? So that's what I have found myself doing right now because, and a lot of it was born out of the fact that the times in which I have showed up best in my career, in my tenure, have been the times in which. CEOs and executive leaders have come to me and they have asked me to either turn around underperforming teams and operations, Mm -hmm. or they have come to me and asked me to build brand new teams, functions, and an operational playbook from the ground up. And I really come to understand this about myself and my own journey, right? Of That's where I show up best. Mm -hmm. It's when I can help leaders and companies go from ideation to execution. And, and knowing how to manage to a vision, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't just have strategy if there's no execution, right? Yep. Vision is only going to stay a vision. You got to turn that into reality. And that's where I show up best. And so I, I get excited when I come across CEOs and tech startup founders who um, are trying to solve for hard problems, right? And mm-hmm. trying to make an impact, Um those, those are the companies and organizations like I'd like to work with. The whole well, social on, entrepre- you know, entrepreneurial enterprise approach to hard things in this world. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you could take on public health pol- policy in Los Angeles, I mean, I think you can wrangle any team in. That's for sure. <laughs> Don't tell everyone, Julie, because then everyone's going to want me to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, what's nice about having your own advisory is you can pick and choose, um, right. you know, who you want to work with. But um, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, your insights, your expertise. It's just so great to continue to know you. And, um, you know, i Wish you all the best. And I'm so excited to share this episode with our listeners. Thank you, Julie. It was wonderful to be here. And thanks for making it easy. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. 
Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future served up episodes. Cheers!